dismiss the kids at this time. You can head on downstairs, find Dr. Molly Kuehl over here in the corner. And we're going to queue up a, uh, a video for you. So just give us one quick second to do that.
How many of you have seen uh, the Passion of the Christ movie? Quite a few. They did a really good job of uh, depicting um, the spiritual and emotional uh, turmoil that Jesus was under at the garden. Um, one of the things that we probably don't recognize good enough, well enough, uh, is the fact that uh, the Garden of Gethsemane was the critical moment, not only in Jesus' life, but in all of human history. Everything um, was basically on a pivot point at that moment where he was wrestling with um, his will, whether or not uh, he would continue through. Now, we know that he did, and we know that uh, that was absolutely necessary, but Scripture tells us that uh, Jesus was um, in a, such a peculiar uh, place, probably a place he'd never been before uh, in his life in all of eternity, that he had a different will than his father, and if he did what he, he wanted, it would mean the loss uh, of all of humanity. Um, salvation would not be won. And so uh, we celebrate Easter and Christmas and lots of wonderful holidays, but uh, the garden is the moment that it was fundamentally won. Um, after that, you know, the rest fell into place. Uh, and so we want to learn um, from Jesus what happened in the garden. What can we learn about uh, not only his um, strength, and will, and um, power, and uh, willingness to do what only he could do, but also what do we learn from that for our own lives? Uh, because we're all in those pivotal moments in our own life where, where we have to decide, am I going to do what God wants, or am I going to continue to do what I want? Am I going to let my flesh, my sin win, or am I going to let God win in my life? And uh, how, how do we get the strength? How do we get the clarity and the motivation and the power to make a better decision? And we can learn that um, just by understanding what happened in the garden. So let's stand as we read uh, God's Word this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, and starting in verse 36, says, then Jesus went with them, uh, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means oil press. And this is the, the place symbolically where Jesus is crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah says he's crushed for our iniquities. This is where and when it happened. Um, says uh, to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, 
your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away, prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And Father, we uh, have a hard time um, comprehending the weight that Jesus was under in that moment. Knowing your will, knowing the future, knowing all that he would have to go through struggling um, with that knowledge, the sense of, of having to become sin that we might become righteousness, Lord. What a, an amazing transfer, but oh, <laughs> the price that was uh, needed to be paid is beyond comprehension. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you're willing uh, you're willing to send your son, willing to go through that, willing to pay the price, willing to offer grace, Lord, knowing that the world uh, as a whole um, would reject and deny and and justify and make excuses and come up with other answers, Lord, other than you. And Father, we pray that uh, we uh, would not do that, God, that we would have a heart and a mind and a soul and a uh, just be willing to receive the gift offered, be changed by it, be uh, renewed by it, be strengthened by that, and learn from it and uh, make better choices as we uh, claim that strength. The indwelling of your Holy Spirit, God, we pray, would fill each and every person, Lord, um, those who are near to salvation, uh, Lord, I pray that the, this would be the tipping point. Those who are uh, walking with you, I pray that this would be um, a moment of clarity, encouragement, and strength to continue. Those who have difficult decisions to make, Lord, I pray um, that today would be a day that they find uh, the answer that they're looking for. Not the answer that they come up with, but the answer that you provide. And God, in all these things, we pray that you would be glorified and that you would use your church um, to continue your plan of salvation to this world. We love you and we thank you that we get to play a part in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... <clears throat> Just to, to clarify, in case not everybody's totally up to speed on where we're at in the life of Christ and the moment of what the garden is, um, he has just um, celebrated the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, so Judas was there. He washed their feet. He washed Judas's feet. He gave them uh, communion, the, the symbol of his broken body and his blood being poured out. He gave them that lasting ordinance that we have today. We still celebrate. We're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, Judas, in the, in the Gospel of John, says that when he took the bread, um, Satan entered into him in that moment. Um, and so I don't think Satan possesses a lot of people 
but he made an exception for Judas. Um, it's kind of interesting to think about the fact that he, at that moment, when he's receiving the bread, that is the symbol of Jesus' body, that he decides. It's almost a mirror of what just happened in the garden. Instead of choosing God's will, he chose uh, whatever was easiest, whatever worked for him, whatever he thought needed to be done to betray the Lord, and um, he opened himself to a satanic uh, involvement there. Then he leaves. Jesus says, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. And uh, he gets up and he leaves, and it's dark, and they finish their meal, and they finish their time together, and then um, they sing a song, and they get up and they leave. Now, it's a Sabbath, okay? Now, Sabbath is Saturday every week for the Jewish people, but this is a special holiday, okay? It's a Sabbath holiday. And so there are certain rules in play because of that. And one of the, one of the rules that they have is that you can only travel so far um, because of a Sabbath walking laws. And so we know that you can travel like about 200 yards. I'm going to round this. Uh, from the city wall to outside the city. And so they cross the Kidron Valley, and they approach the Mount of Olives. They're at the base of the Mount of Olives, and there's this garden, Garden of Gethsemane. It's an olive grove, uh, just like what was depicted, and it's uh, named Gethsemane for oil press. And they would press uh, olives into oil, and there would be three presses when they when they would do this. And the what would happen is they would go to deeper and deeper levels to get more and more of the oil out of the olives, and it's symbolic, really, of what Jesus was undergoing, those three prayers that he is being crushed under the weight of the responsibility of the world and his sense of what he knows he has to do and the hope that he has. This is it's a weird thing to think about that Jesus would have hope for you and me. You, you understand what that kind of means? Like he, he hoped for you, that you would know him, that you would receive what he, what he offered, that you would say yes to God instead of no. That in his mind, okay, that night, I believe that our faces were running through it. And his willingness to say yes to God had something to do with the idea of you. 2,000 years later, there are going to be these people in, in Alito, Illinois, and Mercer County who are going to hear about Jesus from across the sea, from history, from the Word of God, and they're going to say yes to God. And his willingness to say yes at that point was somehow hinged on that hope. How much of your life do you make decisions based on what you believe God's going to do in you, through you, for the future? And how much do we just do what we want to do right now? Because it's easy, or it feels good, or it's convenient, or it's just my desire working itself out. We don't think about consequences. We don't think about the possibilities. 
But he came to that moment, and here's what um, he says. Okay, he's struggling with this, even with all the hope that he has and, and all, I mean, all the advantages. Just think about the advantages. He is, he is God in the flesh. He knows his Father's will. I wish I knew more of what God wanted, don't you? Like, just, I, I know a lot of what he, he wants in my life generally, but the specifics what, is, what does he want me to say exactly in this moment? What does he want me to do right here? What, what, what decision could I make that would, you know, absolutely please him all the time? I mean, I, he knew that. He knew it so clearly. But here's what he says. He says in, in our passage that we read from, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. So he's asking specifically um, that this not happen. Don't go to the cross. Don't pay for the sin of the world. If this can be done some other way. But then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And I, I want to just bring up one critical point here. It's not, when we say God's will be done, we kind of just say, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do. And I don't have a whole lot of say in it, so I'm just going to accept whatever God's will is, okay? That's a little bit of a cop-out. He's not saying, well, whatever you want to do, God. He's saying, I need to get on board with what you want to do. I, this is your will. This is my will. Right now, they're, they're way far apart. And I need to get to where you're at. Okay? And secondly, he says in verse 42, he says, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So he's getting there. Uh, in Mark... Uh, 1436 and also 39. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Okay, he's pleading that God would just find a different way. But then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. In Luke uh, 2242, it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so there's this, all the uh, uh, gospels agree, okay? He is not wanting in his human nature to do what he knows in eternity past he decided he had to do. And the turmoil here is so intense. Um, it is the reason why Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Okay, that... This is the moment. Um, was he tempted in every particular way that you're tempted? The answer is no. He's, he's, he wasn't a woman. He wasn't born in the 20th century. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have kids. He didn't have a computer. He didn't have a car. He, I mean, there are things that you're tempted to do that he, he wasn't tempted to do. And yet, Hebrews uh, 4 and verse 15 is fundamentally absolutely true because sin has uh, a common denominator. And the common denominator is, I don't know what you just said, but maybe it's the right answer. <laughs> the common denominator is my will, not God's will. It's what I want. It's what gets in the way of following through with the things that you know that God has placed in your heart, that he has revealed in his word, that he has given to you as an opportunity to glorify him. 
and to get off of the page of whatever I want. And here's the reality here is that Jesus, it's hard for me to understand this. I don't know, maybe this is not hard for you to understand this. Jesus being God was still human and he struggled with that very same thing. He did not want at that moment what God wanted. Is that shocking? But he, so this is the moment where it all could have just fallen apart. Where, where God had placed on the line the, the whole cosmic uh, plan. It was, has come down to this. A human being who is God, but a human being is going to have to decide willingly and knowingly to do the impossible, to do what is hideous in his own sight. You and I don't get it because we're, we're impure. We're, we've sinned. So sin to us is we get it. Here's a man who never sinned, never did a wrong thing, never said a wrong thing, never, never polluted his body, never did anything that was not exactly what his father had shown him and told him to do. Never one time in his life. He did not have a sinful nature. He was different than us in that sense. He was absolutely pure, and yet the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin. He was going to get ready to become sin. Take all of your sin. I mean, you and I have a hard time handling our own sin, much less the sin of the entire world for all time. And he's getting ready to do that, to become sin. I don't understand it. His His fellowship with the Father is so pure and absolute. Um, I think that was what he feared the most losing in that moment. Even though it's, it's going to be short, short-lived, there's going to be a moment when his Father is going to turn his back on him and he's going to put the sin of the world on him and he's going to pour out his wrath on him and he's going to die. He who is life itself is going to experience death. I don't believe he was too concerned with the rejection of the world. He, and the Bible says he, he knew it was in the heart of man. He didn't entrust himself to any man. Um, he, he understood. He, he had a sense of what people were thinking and feeling. That part of it, I think, he just... I mean, the Gospel of John says from chapter 1, says light came into the world. The world didn't understand it. The world didn't accept him. His own people rejected him. He, I think he knew that part of it. But it was that tearing of the relationship between him and his father that I think was so overwhelming to him that he couldn't, in his heart, agree with it in that moment. And yet he continued to go to God in prayer and thank the Lord that he did <laughs> because the whole battle was won that night. That moment in the garden was the victory over sin. Here's the thing. We know that. We know that about Jesus. We know that about 
him, the, the crucifixion we know about, his payment is sufficient. Our relationship with God is based on that. But what we don't always get is that you and I are also in, I mean, we don't bear the weight of the world. We don't bear the weight of, of human history on our shoulders, but we, we bear the weight of what the future could be in our lives and how our lives impact the people around us. The potential for that is so enormous um, that we can affect families, we can affect generations, we can affect communities, we can affect workplaces, and we, we, have, we have such an opportunity to make a positive, powerful, long-lasting impact. And we also have to pivot towards God's will instead of our will. And the question is, what, two things, do we know what God's will is? And then the second thing is, when you do know it, do you have the strength to do what he's asking you to do? Some people don't know. Um, they just don't know what God's will is. They don't know what God wants. They don't know. Um, and so we have some learning to do. Amen? That's okay. It's, um, it's one of those things where we're all learning. If you're willing uh, to get into that relationship and hear from God and spend some time with the Lord and get into His Word and spend time with God's people, um, just the willingness is going to set you on a course that is far superior to anything that you could ever accomplish apart from God. But as believers, okay, what do we do sometimes? What, how do we make decisions? Why is it that we, we get so caught up in the wrong path instead of the right path? And I just have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten, my top ten list, okay, of all the things. And these are, this is not exhaustive, okay? I'm going to walk through this quickly. Here's Ten things that get in the way of choosing God's will instead of, uh, or choosing, yeah, get in the way of choosing God's will um, instead of our own. I didn't say that right. You, you know what I'm saying. First thing is um, we get caught up in what other people want. Number one and two, what other people want, what other people expect. For um, kids, teenagers, young people, okay, still in school, uh, we call that peer pressure. They see what others are doing, what they're saying. They get um, coached by wrong behaviors, wrong attitudes, and we put them into these situations where uh, they're learning values based on those around them. And if those other young people uh, have values that are not godly, then our young people are learning that this is okay. Here's the bar. It's what other people want and expect, okay? We see that all the time. Two things we have to understand about young people. They need a family to talk to them about the things that they're hearing, learning, understanding, 
and being influenced by. They need a family to talk through those things with them. What are you hearing? What are you learning? What are you seeing? Here's what God says. And too many families, unfortunately, uh, assume that everything is okay and they don't spend time discipling, talking to, praying with, teaching their kids anything godly. And they're just, this is, this is my story, okay? This is what happened to me. Grew up in the church, grew up in a Christian home, um, but was influenced by all my peers all the time. For an adult... Um, we call that people-pleasing. <laughs> it's, I don't want to offend, and I don't want to disrupt, and I don't want to say anything that, I don't want to seem weird. I'm going to kind of go with the flow. People are talking about things that I don't agree with, but I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and I should say something about faith here, but I'm not going to do that because it might be offensive. And we pull back, and we just kind of flow with, whatever culture is doing, um, and, and we're, we're not making a difference. Um, it causes us to not do what God wants us to do. Because the more you agree with the evil that's going on in the world, the more often, the more likely that you will then become like that. You first agree with it, and then you do it. Um, what others want, what others expect, one and two, what I want. <laughs> Some people don't choose. They never choose between what's right and wrong or what God wants and, and what, uh, what I want. They just do what they want. There's never a discernment, never a choice. It's just, here's what I want, that's what I'm going to do. Until somebody stops me or God says no. If God doesn't want, <laughs> you ever hear this? If God doesn't want me to do that, he'll stop me. And here's the reality. No, he won't. What he'll say is, I warned you. <laughs> you want to do it? You go ahead. I warned you. I want you to step back and make a better choice so I can give you the blessings that come along with that. If you want to pursue a, a dark, ugly path, you can do that. What's easiest? What's convenient? Um, man, that gets in the way so often, our choice to do what God wants. Because why? Anybody know? Because what God wants is 99% of the time the hard thing. It's the more difficult thing. He wants you to forgive. It's much harder to forgive than it is to hold a grudge. You know that? It's much harder to approach somebody with a, a problem than it is to just ignore it. It's much harder to repair a marriage than it is to flee. It's much harder to follow God's path than it is to follow your own path. That's why uh, Jesus talks about it as being the narrow way. The path to destruction is what? It's wide. Lots of people find themselves on that one. The path to the Lord is narrow and it's difficult. Um, what I think will make me happy. Um, you know what you think will make you happy in the short term will most likely make you miserable in the long term. How I was raised. Anybody battling that? 
I was raised this way. This is what I heard and saw from my parents. This is what I was trained to think and to do. We were, we were raised to be this way. Um, and, and that can be fine if you were raised to, to know God and do what God wants. Great. Everything else you have to wash through the, the, for, through the reading of His Word and prayer and, and, and what God's will is in terms of a spiritual discernment of God's people. You can't default to, well, I was just raised that way. I said this earlier, 8 o'clock, I uh, didn't say it. Here's the thing. Just because people sin in ignorance does not mean that they are innocent. We, we think that. We think that a lot. We think that if you're, if you're ignorant, if you have good motives, then you're innocent. Right? No harm, no foul. But that's not true. Um, it's, it's just the difference of murder or manslaughter. <laughs> Still guilty. Maybe a little less responsible. Maybe it's not rebellion, but still guilty. Still needing forgiveness. Still needing purification. Still needing redemption. Still needing God to pour into your life. Um, how I was raised isn't an excuse for that. Um, lack of biblical knowledge. We just, we don't know. And, and that's really where the ignorance part comes in. We just don't know what God says. And we think if I don't know, then I don't have to do it. Um, it's not an excuse. Here's uh, something we need to grasp. I just saw this quote, and I was, I've never heard this before. Um, anybody know who Richard Foster is? Wrote the uh, uh, Cost of Discipline. Um, anyway, he said that... Um, we overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in 10 years. Okay, what that means, I, I think, okay, if I'm interpreting it correctly, is that we, we have these goals, like I want to read the Bible in a year. I want to become, you know, mature immediately. Like if I want it right now to be the person that, that I think I should be or that God wants me to have. Right now, I should, it should just happen like... And when that doesn't happen, we just give up. But if you were to get into a process, okay, with the Lord, then in 10 years, you could be in such a different place. My personal experience was that um, from the time I was 18, 19, okay, I came to know the Lord. Uh, within five years, I was, I was serving a church as a youth pastor. From the point of conversion to where God called me into ministry was like four years. That's, and I'm not saying I knew everything I needed to know. I, I have yet to learn everything I need to know and, and have, I'll never exhaust what I need to learn. But within five years, within uh, seven years, um, I was pastoring a church, preaching twice, two different sermons every Sunday. Within seven years, I wouldn't have, if, I, if you'd asked me when I came to know the Lord, okay, are you going to be ready to take on the leadership and preaching in a church and a congregation of people who are um, older? Every single person in the church was older than I was, okay? Many of them were very mature Christian people, and I'm going to lead 
these people, I'm going to preach and teach the Bible to them. Are you going to be ready for that? <laughs> like, absolutely not. But that's what happens. We underestimate what God can do in 10 years. What, what can happen if you'll just put yourself into a daily relationship and reading of Scripture and training and letting the Lord work on your heart? Like, it doesn't have to happen all at once. So biblical knowledge, I know people, oh, I don't know enough of the Bible. Well, are you, are you reading it? I mean, you read one chapter a day, you're going to start learning the Bible. Um, lack of prayer, one of, the, one of the biggest problems that we have is we make decisions and we don't pray about them. We just, whatever I think is best, whatever, you know, I feel at the moment, whatever, you know, advice I can get, and we don't just say, God, what do you think about this? How much would that change how you make decisions? You might, I'm not saying you're going to hear an audible voice or he's going to tell you every little thing, but just stop and pray. God, I, here's something I'm dealing with. What do you think about that? Let him speak to your heart. Um, bad advice from the wrong people. And I say wrong people because no matter who they are, if they're giving you bad advice, they're the wrong people, right? Bad advice means, here's the deal. You can always get the answer that you're looking for from somebody. No matter how destructive and evil a thing that you want to do, you can always find somebody that will agree with you about that. So just getting advice is not the whole deal. you got to weigh that advice against what God's Word says and understand they're, if they're telling you something that's unbiblical, ungodly, unscriptural, it's, it's bad advice, even if they're a good person or a Christian person or a leader or somebody you trust. Um, and number 10, I think this is 10, emotional impulses. And some people live their lives on this. They don't think about consequences. They don't even think about choices. It's just how they feel right now. I'll deal with whatever comes later. And we're just locked into doing things because I feel like doing them right now. And if Jesus would have um, done that, <laughs> can you imagine? Could you just said, well, I don't feel like going to the cross. We can't pay for sin. I can't pay for it. I can't, even, I can't pay for yours, and I can't even pay for mine. I can't earn enough money to pay for it. I can't work enough uh, in the church to pay for it. I can't be good enough to pay for it. I can't, I can't pay for it. No one can do that except for the spotless, sinless Son of God. He had to do it. And he had to get over his fear of it in order to decide to do that for you and me. And so here's something that is, I think, fascinating. In uh, Luke chapter 22, you know what is crazy? We know the exact moment that Jesus came to the decision to pay for the sin of the world, to agree with his Father's will. We know the exact moment that this happened. Here's what it says. Uh, Jesus is praying, Gethsemane. Verse uh, 43 says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. 
And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And here's what we know about that. That's a physiological, scientifically observable uh, phenomenon, okay? Uh, it's called hemotidrosis. And what happens is that under uh, great strain, emotional strain usually, sometimes physical strain, but under great emotional strain, you, the capillaries, uh, the blood capillaries around your sweat glands constrict so tightly that when that pressure is relieved, they dilate so fast and so violently that it sends blood. They burst and it sends blood into your sweat glands. And at that moment that he's sweating great drops of blood, what happened was he said yes to God. He just said yes. Not just your will be done, I'm just a, a pawn. I'm just going to float along on the, on the, in the stream of your will. He said, yes, I will intentionally move into what you want me to do. And from there on out, everything else was easy. I mean, <laughs> you're talking about being flogged. Just watch The Passion of the Christ and see how that whole thing went. Crucified. The thing about the crucifixion, we'll get into this in a few weeks, is not that it was the most painful death that any person could ever experience. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that in the book of Deuteronomy, it said anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. He became a curse in order to provide a blessing. And he said, yes, I hope for those folks in Alito, Illinois, in 2021, sitting at First Baptist Church, I hope for them that they'll receive what I'm offering, the payment that I'm paying, that they'll just accept it. Just agree and say yes and have as much hope for their future as I do. To believe that your life actually matters. It matters to God and it matters in the course of this world and it matters in our community and it matters to your family and it matters to us. Your life actually matters and there's hope in it. That they would just say yes. Doesn't have to do anything else this this moment. Just say, I agree with you, God. You did it. I accept it. Now what? Amen. Father, we thank you. We can't thank you enough. We can't love you enough. We can't worship you enough, Lord. We just give you what we have. We have these little lives. To us, they seem small. To you, they're precious. They are of so much value that you would pay that price, that you would be willing to lay down your life in the hope that we would accept it. Just in the chance that some 
would hear the message and not harden their hearts and not turn away and not reject it, not make excuses, but just say, yes, God, I need you. I want you. Here's my life. Do with it what you want. And Lord, that's our prayer. Take these lives. Do with them what you want. And you will be glorified. And we will be blessed. And we thank you that you made it possible through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you this morning. I mean, the, the only thing is... Yes or no, that's it. Whatever the question is in your life, it's either a yes or a no to God. And for some people, it may be a first time, um, yes, God, I, I want to know you and, and be saved and have hope for eternity and have forgiveness of my sins. It may be a first time yes. For many, it may be a yes to whatever is coming onto your plate right now I don't I don't know every single person here is different but I know the answer is either yes or no amen if your answer is yes and you need to physically show that that's what the altar here is it's just a it's a time and a place for you to to yourself and to God say I'm making a decision to say yes and we'll pray with you if we would love to celebrate with you. Um, but that's what the altar is. Amen. So let's stand, let's sing. If God is calling you and you're saying yes, um, would you come and just make that decision known here at the altar?